I'm Shreen Patek, and this is Making Marketing. On today's episode, Nick Law, Global Chief Creative at Publicis Group, joined the holding company a couple of months ago after a long career at RGA. For Nick, the biggest issue with agencies is how out of date they are, and in some ways, Publicis included. Nick and I discuss why agency execs love to hold on to the past, if agencies can ever truly transform client businesses, and why ads on the internet seriously suck. Hi, Nick. Welcome to the show. Hi, it's great to be here. We're excited to have you. What is the hardest thing about being a creative? Oh, the blank page. That's easy. <laughs> uh, what is the hardest thing about being the global chief creative at a holding company? 80,000 blank pages. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, well, I mean, the, the one way of looking at being a creative practitioner in our business is someone who's in the craft. Um, I'm still very interested in that because my background is... Is not academic. It's very applied. Um, my family is pretty working class, and so I, I, I find it very uncomfortable just to live in in academia. But I do think about things a lot. So there's a part of it, creativity, which is the craft of it, which you get good at by doing over and over again. And it's actually not as glamorous as coming up with an idea in the shower and going into the office and saying, "Look what I got." It tends to take weeks and weeks of you know wearing down a problem. <clears throat> and then the other part of creative which which uh, as you get older becomes more important is how you look at the business creatively hmm. how do you design a company or a team or how do you combine capabilities for an outcome so that that is a creative task um, and I, I find myself doing a lot of that understanding of course <clears throat> the craft as a part of that but seeing it as a larger system and designing that system especially now Especially now, like, and in, and in fact, in some ways, I think that's why the industry was caught a little bit, was that things were so stable for so long that you didn't have to design a team because you had these very stable templates, TV, print, you had a pretty stable business environment with a few brands and a few media channels. And so the value that you could bring was the sort of storytelling on top. And especially since the mediums that were at our disposal could really only let you do that there was no interface so your work didn't have to be as dimensional as it is now and as soon as the internet came along and ate everything up then all of a sudden you were living as a creative in this sort of system mm-hmm. that uh that changed all the time where the medium was sort of reinvented every six months where how you applied your craft needed to be rethought and so coming out of that stability i just think that uh uh, a lot of the agencies hadn't used the muscle of designing the the company. They'd only used the muscle of telling stories on top of st- uh, stable companies. And so when the company started to unravel and, and you know, then, and all of a sudden this, the stories felt very superficial on top of all that change. So I think we're now as a creative industry needs to think deeper. And the, the quote I... Um, I like to tell people internally is that uh, change is a, is a design problem. You're not going to figure out change with a tagline. We'll end up with a tagline probably, but we're not going to start there. That's an interesting point because I think that when you look at it's sort of this problem that I think keeps you know keeps being brought up with agencies is that if if they were not ever used to at least traditionally 
designing for kind of change and then designing as designing business processes internally. And now they're actually being called on to do that for their clients. Like, again, you're not doing just taglines for yeah. clients. You're not doing just that one thing. Now it's if agencies are to survive, they have to be doing business transformation. If they haven't been traditionally equipped to do it for themselves, yeah. how are they going to do it for everybody else? Well, that's exactly right. So I think, I mean, this fits neatly into my own confirmation bias, um, you know, which, is, which, is, which is based on what I had designed for the last 17 years at the previous company that I was at, which was a, a, a creative uh, team that was built on an organizing principle of stories and systems. Are we not allowed to say their name? Oh, we can. If oh, okay. Yeah, it was our GA. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know. Um, no, no, it's fine. <laughs> it's very he must to not be named. Second <laughs> over there. Um, but the thing is that it, the industry didn't always have this inability to reimagine itself structurally. I think early on, during the last great sort of disruption, which was broadcast, um, there was, you know, there famously a lot of agencies came up with product ideas and, and di- different ways of thinking about marketing in, in a much more limited world but they they did it was it's definitely true that this happened um but they also the last time the creative team was invented or, or reinvented was in the late 50s with burnback if you look at the work before the creative revolution it was it's very clear that the creative team was one writer because it, the print which was the primary advertising medium looks very editorial and and you can see in the in the work that it was conceived of by a copywriter, written and then sent downstairs and colored in by an art director. It's it's sort of obvious when you look at it, because what you can do is you can take the writing out of the ad and it still works. And so when Burnback brought the art director from upstairs and they worked as this team, you had this sort of Venn diagram of capabilities where in the middle you got this magical intersection. And so if you look at the VW work from that you know that early, those early those early days out of mm-hmm. Burnback, then you see work where you can't just take the copy out or the image out because they're so intertwined. Think small, is is the tension between the word and the image is beautiful, and and you can't separate them. And it was a sort of so it was a sort of amazing thing. But I don't think you can underestimate how difficult that would have been. I imagine that the you know for the first few years, every time the art director turned up at the copywriter's desk. The copywriter rolled their eyes and says, what the fuck are you doing here, <laughs> right? I'm the creative person. I guarantee that was the case. And we're seeing something similar now, and we have seen something similar for the last 10 years, with the inability of true sort of systematic, I won't use the word digital because I think it's trite, but sort of systematic design thinking, creativity like that, to be, to be treated seriously at big agencies. They're considered technical and executional, and I, in some ways, I think it's inverted that you have to solve that problem before you tell the story, which is where we started. But weren't they simply not incentivized to treat it that way? I mean, you, you look right. at sort of the, can- we've talked about canvas. The canvas of the internet itself is not really a blank canvas. It's kind of full of all of these issues. And, you know, it's been trying to get monetized and publisher pages are terrible. So even looking at something as simple as an ad on the internet, it's not, nobody's incentivized to think, let's make this as beautiful as possible. They're incentivized in a completely different way. But that's, that's where we have the problem of looking at every problem because we're a hammer as a nail. So, of course, advertising isn't, is a, was a discrete industry. But the, what the web did when it ate the world is it connected all these things. So it's very difficult to tease out 
how an ad works and how a service works or how um, you know a social post compared to a connected device connect compared to a banner all of these things start to have a blur because of this connected world and so if you're only concerned about ads and you're a practitioner of the internet then you're looking at the world through a keyhole and so and this is this is I think the problem the other thing is is that if you were one of the early website shops like the you know the organics or the agency.coms or the or the RGAs then your medium changed all the time and so what you needed to do was change your capabilities constantly so when I first started at RGA in 2001 the atomic team the creative team was a visual designer uh, an interaction designer a technologist and a copywriter which would sort of turn up late and fill things in, right? It wasn't a serious creative discipline in, that, in those days. And that Atomic team was really good when you were designing hyperlinked brochures, which is, you know, so if you think back at the Jacob Nielsen idea of the web, which was, you know, there are certain standards that connect all of this information. And, and so in the early days, that's what the Atomic team was. And then gradually the web started to eat everything. So as soon as you were able to design a shoe on a website, and it wasn't just about looking at information. Then all of a sudden we had to th rethink how you did this. And then, and, then you, and then we had the ability to, to tell stories because the pipe got big enough and all the great storytellers started to come into the web. And so you couldn't be a, a practitioner in the web without great storytelling. So then we had to develop that capability. And then you know, data became really important. And so you need to think. So if you were a part of, if the web is your medium, then you had to keep creating capabilities incubating them, bring them into the center, incubating, bring them into the center. And so your atomic team changed in this free, healthy, but sort of chaotic way over time. In the parallel universe of the advertising industry, they never got off this, uh, this, the faith in the, in the outright copywriter. It's like, it is an article of faith. No one questions it. They don't question it because they don't think like designers, but they also don't question it because it's, it, was, it, was, it came down to them from the mountain. It's it's heresy to question that, but just like it's heresy to question any of sort of the great creative ideas that have come down and said like, well, some of those simply would not work today. But you almost can't say it. They're not yeah, timeless. No, exactly. Well, and this is oh, this is the problem with the agency world where they've mistaken practice for principle, and so this this is why I hate the word big idea because what they're talking about when they talk about a big idea is something articulated in a way that looks a lot like the beginning of a TV spot, a tagline, or some sort of anthemic. Uh, paragraph and 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 that is not a principle that's a practice um, and creativity by definition is something that has to be realized through a medium there is no creativity without it being made or created and and when you're thinking creatively you are already thinking about how it's going to live in the world so I'm highly suspicious of ideas that float above execution and in my experience you know of working as a creative for 30 years I don't think I've ever come up with one of those ideas. Now, I may have fooled myself into thinking this is bigger than the medium that it's going to be squeezed out of. But in the end, I've, you have to articulate it as something that lives in the world. And so when you know, I, I sit through presentations from traditional agencies and after the strategy, they land on a tagline and then an anthem, I just wonder what, why has that been... Who says that's the best way to express a creative idea? And, and, and especially if going back to the late 50s when Bernbeck created this construct, 
Like things have changed so much. There's there's nothing about those that when that creative team was created that is that is true in media uh, now. It's all changed. I just think we the 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 traditional advertising world lost its ability to imagine how to recreate itself because it was so concerned about the presentation layer, about how to tell a story. You keep saying traditional advertising world. Yeah. I think many would argue that Publicis is a traditional advertising world or pa- big parts part of it. Of it. Parts of it are, yeah. So how does, and you know, kind of get going on with this theme of there have been a lot of things that have just been taken as principle and just mm-hmm. never been bothered to question. On the creative side, there's also been a lot of things just on the business side is that this is just how it works. This is just yeah. how holding companies have to work. This is just how P&Ls have to work. Mm-hmm. This is just how compensation agreements have to work. This is yeah. exactly where creativity has to play a part in. How are you along with your wider team dismantling that and reinventing that so that yeah. publicist does not remain kind of behind and tries to go ahead? Well, I think that of all the holding companies, I would argue that publicist has the most interesting full stack of solutions, many of which are working pretty well, right? Um, because there's a whole, there's a lot of people in the publicist group that uh, look nothing like a traditional advertising, you know, whether they're working for, for Digitas or Sapient or, you know, a fun, bunch of very interesting and innovative companies in the group. There's the big sort of venerable uh, advertising brands and, and, the, and they're, the, they're the ones that, I, although they have great relationships and, and have still got exquisite skill when it comes to imagining what a brand is, which I think is, is it's... It's not a mechanical task, right? And so there is this, and and just to sort of underline that, mm-hmm. you know, I spent the last decade at, at RGA hiring very traditional people. Mm-hmm. So the talent or the or the capability was very important. How you connected it and used it and contextualized it was the important piece. So so understanding that there is this, there you know, that there are agencies that mo- whose model probably needs to change. Um, is is definitely true. Now, the the advantage I have, which is also the the curse, is that it's become blindingly obvious to everyone, right? That 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 things are changing. We've sort of fallen off a cliff a little bit, right? The industry has, and it's a categorical. Yeah. It doesn't seem to matter from holding company to holding company what happens to the stock price. The whole category suffers. Yes. Right, so everyone. Well, it's ca- not a competitive. It's not a surprise anymore. Right, exactly, and so and so the challenge becomes how do you distinguish yourself amongst these big holding companies, and that's I think what publicists is tr- is trying to do, and the and the only way you can do that is to reimagine, um, you know, how do you how you how you build the foundation and and you know and redesign mm-hmm. it. Is that Marcel? No, 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 Marcel is I don't you know in a I think in five years time, we'll find it funny that we. We're so obsessed with what is basically a, a, uh, an intelligent productivity tool. You know, um, if you think about the, the the hockey stick curve that represents uh, change mm-hmm. uh, that came after the internet, and because of it's it's basically because of network effects. It's because there aren't ideas that aren't there aren't ideas that that are sitting in the world unconnected. Everything's connected now, and so it sort of it creates this this flywheel of innovation, mm-hmm. this combining and recombining of lots of ideas because the web does that. It's connecting everything. And so you, that's, I think, why things change so, so quickly because innovation is just supercharged. If you think about that internally, if you look at all the tools that 
keep these big companies connected and working. They don't have that quality. They don't behave like the internet. They're not intelligent. They don't have like a, a knowledge graph that gets smarter and smarter. That's not how they're built. But in 10 years' time, it'll be absurd if you don't have it. So, so Marcel, I know it's created a lot of buzz and, and a lot of, largely because it was connected to the, the whole CAN debate. Um, but I don't think it's... But that's it's, a tool. That's not tool. the strategy. It Absolutely. You know, yeah, no, a part, it, it's connected to the strategy, which sure. is to connect 80,000 people. So, so that's power of one? Is that the strategy? Power, power of one is, an, is one expression of what some clients need. Okay. Like, there are a lot of clients that don't need that full stack of solutions. And this is, we need to be a lot more flexible and modular. And, 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 but there are, there are lots of clients now that actually want to sort of consolidate a myriad of capabilities underneath one Absolutely. group. And that's where the power of one works. So, okay, so consultancies are a potential pressure for agencies. Uh, fees, lowering fees, lowering margins are, uh, are a pressure point. Um, the ability to, you know, the, the questions that are being asked are, hey, okay, you can do advertising, but can you also help me transform my business? Mm -hmm. That's uh, that's another one. Transparency, um, just kind of questioning in housing, questioning whether agencies should even be part of a portfolio. Out of all of these, which is the one that worries you most, or is there one I forgot? Yeah, no, I think the the, the biggest concern for the holding company model and agencies in general is fixing themselves because I think the competitive set has uh, will will take work from the industry. But it won't take all the work, and how and what sort of work it takes will depend a lot on on how the holding companies and the and the and the industry um, uh, reinvents itself. The one thing that I know is absolutely true: no matter what happens, or just hypothetically, all the holding companies collapse, and 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 this these thousands of creative people and interesting strategic people sort of spread around and find themselves at Facebook and and Deloitte and uh, and on the client side, and the, you know. Um, what we will have lost if that happens is, is companies where the product is creativity. And you can't underestimate the power of that because a company's culture is based on how they make money and what they make. Uh, and so I think that they're, I think that right now, because it's early days, it's, I haven't seen an example of a rich, inventive, creative culture within one of these other entities. Even in, whether it's an in-house agency inside a brand or whether it's... Yeah, that's right. Now, I've seen parts of it, mm -hmm. right? But I also, like, one of the, the things I think we need to ask creative people as they try to find opportunities is, can you become boss at this company? So, so one of the structural issues with our, with our industry is that the product people don't have enough leadership positions. That's one of the reasons I took the job is I think it's important in our industry for the product people to have a say in what the future is. But you can only do that if you take that responsibility. Because normally it's the finance people. Or well, the but this is, I think, part of the problem. I, I watched this video recently of Steve Jobs. I think it was when he went back to Apple and he's being interviewed and he's talking about the demise of Xerox. And he, he says that, that Xerox lost its way when it became a monopoly and it didn't matter if you reinvented the product because you had a monopoly. So there wasn't, there wasn't sort of incremental gains from innovation. And so the, f the operational and financial people took charge and in a sort of strange irony, marketing people, right? right. Now he also, you know, not surprisingly, 
thought that was a problem with Scully, who came from PepsiCo. So when Scully was brought in to replace him and he was kicked out, Apple did have, you know, it, 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 it performed miserably. And he said it's because Scully's not a pr- product person. He came from a company where changing a product was changing the shape of a bottle. This is, this is his argument. <laughs> but the over, overarching argument is that product people uh, will find themselves not in charge uh, uh, when things aren't changing, right? When things are changing, the product people have to be there to reimagine the future because there's no operational person or, or CFO in any of these companies that is going to know what we're going to be, is, is going to make a good guess of what we should be making in five years, mm-hmm. right? The time right now in our industry requires us to have some imagination about what the future might be and to help shape that future. And I think creative people need to do that. Now, it's not like our industry hasn't had great creative business leaders. It's like all, you know, the Burnbacks and, you know, and the Drogas and the, and the, and the Widens, these, these people are creatives. Are creatives are, there's a small set of creative people that are, are capable of running a business. But that's not, not at the holding company. It's very rarely at the holding that's company That's exactly, level. that's my point. And part of it is that I think creatives have been so distracted by all the other things. Or like like, like like award shows, like becoming famous, like but like uh, like disappearing deep into a craft that that reminds them of Hollywood or something. But isn't that what they should have been? I mean, they were always rewarded for doing that in the early years. I mean, that's what they well, were. But told they were also for. rewarded for starting businesses, like you know, like Goodby was started by creative people. There's a there's a whole class of agencies, and it's still happening now. You know, like Gut, you know, and Salmo's new. I, you know, I think they'll do well because it's run by creative people. I think it's important that you have product people. In our case, product is creative and strategy. That's what our product is, right? And everything hinges off that. So as data becomes more important, the data is important because it feeds strategy, right? And and then let's just look at the how the, how that how creative works in the world. And technology is important because we because we need to adapt our creativity to the technologies of the time. But in the middle of that, between data and technology, is creative. There's a hinge. You take that out, and you've got this sort of bloodless mechanical world. And you know, this idea that data will give you knowledge is bullshit. Data doesn't give you knowledge. There's no knowledge in data unless someone asks the right questions. And that someone is a is a human who has the imagination to hypothesize. What are the important questions? Without important questions, data is sterile. And so this idea that somehow we just need big data and that we're just going to, you know, and I'm saying this as someone who's been criticizing the old world and, and being a champion of, of the opportunities in, in data and technology. But, but creativity is in the middle of it. And you're also part of a company that's done a lot when it comes to making sure data ownership yes, is a real priority. Absolutely, yeah. So how does that... How does that then work within what you're trying to do as you're trying to reinvent and help reinvent publicists from the inside? Right. Um, and then where does kind of that data ownership fit into that? What do you envision well, as the ideal? Well, if, if, if I look at the economy sort of bluntly, and this is obviously an oversimplification, but if you divide the economy into the old economy and the new economy, the thing that distinguishes the new economy is the data has become this currency, right? They're either, they're either selling it or they're using it and and having it's not even necessarily having a lot of it but having enough of it to 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 make and owning it not renting yeah. it so that so yeah and so if you can't access that technology so this is this is this you know in that book that came out during can frenemies this is sir martin's big argument right which was that um the big digital media companies 
have closed off their, their data in a way that old media didn't. There's no Nielsen looking at how the, you know, the analytics of, of Facebook, they've closed it off, right? They own it. That's what gives them value. So, so what the, that's put some of our big old economy clients in a, in a bit of a bind because they, 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 they don't have this sort of direct relationship and direct understanding of, of what their customers are doing. They have to mediate Especially it in certain categories where they like just CPG, for example, right? right? Yeah, so, so advertising has traditionally been very important for CPGs because they've got a portfolio of, of products which are commodities. And They're essentially marketing companies. Yeah, and so you have, to, you have to create brands to decommoditize these things. Mm-hmm. And to create brands, you do advertising, right? Now, there are other ways of creating brands, but that has been historically the way to create a brand. And it's still really important. The problem is if they have no access to their customer because of Amazon and because of, you and know... DTC brands. Yeah, and have exactly, and this sort of emergent uh, uh, digital native competitors then they find themselves compromised. They're still going to need advertising, but it's not going to solve their long-term problems. Um, and so, so so, that's a huge issue. Now, we also have this, So, some of these little startups have actually become big, big companies. So the new economy uh, has its own problems, which is sort of inv- the inverse of this. They grew with, with engineering and, and sales. And a lot of these big digital platforms are pretty unsophisticated when it comes to brands. Their, their brand was built on the back of really satisfying interfaces and seamless experiences. And we had a great love of Google way before it did one ad for itself, right? Because we had the experience of the product and it was distributed and it was ubiquitous. And, and this is true for a lot of these brands. It's changing now. It's changing for a few reasons. One is that the regulators are coming in because there are some issues around privacy and data ownership. Uh, and also, I think we're a little bit exhausted with this a Silicon Valley utopianism. Yeah, we're, we're seeing beneath that, like this this crazy sort of a, a digital libertarianism, which comes out of the Valley, which is a, just like you're, you're a Luddite if you don't agree with all of this. But is advertising going <clears> to <throat> fix that? I mean, would... No, but my point there is that in that case, uh, a modern version of the advertising company can help, right? Because oh. it can articulate in a lot more elegant way the brand and the positives of, of the, these companies. Have you seen the ads that Facebook's been putting well, in the subway? So, so I just think that if I'm looking at the level of sophistication, my point is that the old, old economy agencies mm-hmm. are not good or are not ultimately the solution for old economy clients. Mm-hmm. But, but old economy become more modern, right? great brands are actually a really important part of the new economy. And, and to see how flat-footed they've been is just to understand that. I mean, the, the richest irony of all is that a lot of these companies have made their money from advertising or being, you know, these media companies. And, and, yet, they and yet they're incredibly unsophisticated when it comes to their own brands because they've, they've, they've ridden on the back of, 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 of awesome interfaces. That's the exact argument I've heard about agencies, though, that agencies never in some ways never built kind of differentiated well, that's brands. The, that's the argument yeah. I was making earlier, right? And oh, actually going back to one of the things I was saying, which I don't think I completed the thought, which is that if you were, if your medium was the web, you had to always create new capabilities to bring them to the center. And the, f- the fact that the, the traditional agencies treated the web as like one discrete below the line channel for so long and didn't understand that it was going to be everything meant that they never created capabilities at the same pace. So, and the problem with the early 
web shops is that is that even though they were able to reinvent themselves rapidly, most of them were then sucked up into big holding companies. In many cases, connected to the legacy agencies, and they well, there's many iconic web shops under the Pilvis's umbrella. That's right. Yeah, and they and then they're, they're sort of being reinvented, right? You know, I mean the 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 the, the sapient model is more and more looking like a consulting model, right? And so, which is Break which down is, that model for me a little bit. Yeah. How how does that how does it work? Because I think Sapiens always been has been sort of an interesting thing to look at as it's kind of grown and shifted. Yeah. There have been so many different permutations and naming permutations, and it's gotten yeah, confusing. Yeah, yeah. But how does it work? How does the Sapient model kind of well, currently th- work? So the way I mean, I've for, well, the way I understand, it, and I'm getting to know more and more about Sapient, okay. and you should get Nigel Vass on here and have a chat <laughs> with him. But the way I understand it is, it's obviously a very broad model because on one end of the spectrum. Um, you know they're sort of tech consulting and and they or, or they create um, you know digital platforms on the other end of the spectrum uh, they are a, a, a digital transformation consulting company right uh, and and so and you know <clears throat> the interesting thing about the thing that's different about sapient and what my experience was before which is you know deeply digital is that they have this huge tech muscle right they've got thousands of developers in India they've got they could build anything right and 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 then they've got this this uh, they, they're speaking to a different client often too which is which is what makes it different to the well they're not speaking to CMOs mostly especially for the the, the, the transformation CIOs CTOs. Yeah, yeah exactly and so that's just a it's a different it's a different world in that respect now there's a huge opportunity in connecting the marketing with with the, with the sort of, with the platform thinking and the business transformation, um, which happens some, but I don't think enough, right? Um, and in fact, the the little uh, version of that was it was RGA where we we connected things that weren't connected elsewhere. So that's a huge opportunity. But I think that this this is the thing about the the the, the, the sapient piece of publishers is that. It's unique in the holding companies, right? And people are, you know, people think, oh, they're not very creative. A lot of stuff that that Sapient does, you never see because it's consulting. It's 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 you. You're not meant to see it. You're not meant to see it, and you and you certainly can't put it in can in a case study because it's that's that's. So is that because it actually isn't creative, or is that because the definition of creativity is different? No, it's because of the it's because of the agreements we have with clients. Mm. Is it the, yeah? This is not the kind of work that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true of the consult. That's why exactly. you know when you speak to the people that run Can, and they say, well, the consultants aren't entering enough case studies, and the reason is, well, they can't. They it's not can't. because they're, they're not creative. No, 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 not at all. In fact, in some ways, they're more creative than than you know the narrative stuff, mm. because they're profound and they're they're deep and structural. But 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 you know the, that that cons- that consulting world is very different, mm-hmm. and it, often because they they work in verticals. They don't have the same competitive problems yeah. for the agency, and so it, it'd, be, it'd be awkward to to do a case study because everyone else that you work with in that vertical would see it. And if you don't have a case study, did the campaign even exist? exist. Did it even exist? It's like a tree that falls in a forest that no one sees. Exactly, gotta have a case yes. study with a really good voiceover, mind you. Yeah, that's right, and it ends with and no paid media. <laughs> what is the biggest lie the advertising industry is telling itself? So the big idea is is one of the lies, right? Because often a successful business now is a collection of small tactics that ladder up to a larger effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is so the sort of singular big idea, and the and and the 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 processes that attach to that, which are until we come up with a big idea, then we can't 
we can't do anything. So, and what that what that has created is this dynamic where you've got these art direct copyright teams spending you know a month trying to distill a tagline, and then once they've distilled the tagline, briefing everyone else, right, including the digital people, whoever they are, and then they go off and you know and it's just it's ass backwards. That's not how you actually innovate. It's not how you. It's not how the world works. So the big idea, I think, is is a huge problem, uh, just as a sort of concept, because it affects processes, how you build teams, the order that you do work, um, and also this this blind faith in the only version of creativity is storytelling, right? And I've heard this sort of fatuous comment all the time, which is, it's still it's still about storytelling. Whenever you hear the the two words, it's still. It means I'm defending my own capability, and I'm trying to convince my own raison yeah, d'etre. Like, I'm trying to convince you that I'm still relevant. It's such bullshit, right? So, I've I think storytelling is incredibly important, and I think it's a huge part of our industry. And I spent a lot of time building a world class storytelling team at, at RGA when no one thought we could, right? So I really believe in it, but but I also think that design and systematic thinking obviously is important and is obviously creative too. And strategy is important. And strategy, right? Which that's the it, and, other bit yeah. that's sort of like almost come back into fashion a little bit. Yeah. Like, remember strategy? Well, I think largely because we, we can't, if we're going to compete against the consultants, we need to be thoughtful. And, and I think that we need deeper strategy. So there is a version of communications planning, this sort of, you know, which is like, it's zeitgeist, zeitgeist, it's zeitgeist air guitar. Like it's like it's a it's it's planners coming up with some hypotheses and then justifying those hypotheses with a few random tweets that they found in the morning, and then and then and then sort of creating this sort of strategy poetry, in a deck. In a deck, right? And and it, and and often post-rationalizing the creative that they saw before they came up with the strategy. And so this is whole sort of thing. Now, we know now that 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 uh, when we go up against consultants or even when we go up against um, uh, the digital media companies that have all this knowledge from the data that we can't do that we need a bit more rigor so i think that <clears throat> the what the organizing principle that i established at rga which is stories and systems was the easiest way for me to to connect the myriad of different ways of creativity into two two essential ways of thinking one temporal one spatial mm -hmm. right one is subtractive one is additive <clears throat> one is about simplicity one is about possibility and those two things work together in the same way that the art director copywriter worked together in those early VW ads, right? Where they're, they're symbiotic. It's not like you have the systematic person looking after all the digital people and the narrative person looking after all the... All the all it's the, like having right? a print newsroom and, a, and an <coughs> online newsroom. Exactly. Well, or or it would be like having all the copywriters over there, all the art directors over there. They come up with their own ideas and at the end you try to connect them. So anyway, the, where I'm getting to is that Stories and Sisters as an organizing principle... Uh, um, applies not just to creative but to strategy right there's a big difference between coming up with a strategy for for communications and coming up with an experience strategy you know or a social strategy which is more systematic one tries is is obsessed with the idea of breaking through comms planning is how do we break through how do we get through this all this clutter and experience strategy is actually the opposite it's how do we fit in how do we insinuate ourselves into someone's life over time not not in a in one discrete moment in a campaign so you can see that there is this duality also in strategy. I don't think it's been completely sorted out on the agency side or anywhere, actually. 
But that's the same thing that we're going through right now, which is we're realizing that strategy can't be this sort of membrane-thin communication. It's deeper. It's connected to business. It's connected to technology. It's connected to all sorts of uh, the way systems work. Mm-hmm. Great. Nicola, thank you so much for being on Making Marketing. Really, thank you. (laughs) That's Nicola, Global Chief Creative at Publicis Group. Our producer is Gianna Cappadona. If you like the show, please subscribe. We're on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and Anchor.fm. Leave us a review and rate the show. I'm Trine Patrick, and we'll see you next week.